as we continue worshiping together today, receive these words from the 43rd chapter of the book of Isaiah, selected verses beginning with the first verse. And now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Thus says the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake, I will send to Babylon and break down all the bars, and the shouting of the Chaldeans will be turned to lamentation. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior, they lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself so that they might declare my praise. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. Will you pause with me now as we pray? Come, Holy Spirit, and be with us. Now rest upon each one gathered here and each within the sound of my voice. Open up our hearts and minds that we might perceive in its fullness the word you have for us today and help us to be recipients of it, that it might flourish in our lives and through us and the world. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. And let the people say with one voice, Amen. There's much that can be said about our passage read from Isaiah 43 today. I'm not going to say too much. But the thing that has stuck with me the most as I have pondered the scripture now for some four and a half months is the question we receive 
about midway through. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Can you not perceive it? Mostly this has made me ask my own question, which is how would life change? How would my life change? How would your life change if you had all the answers? Some of you may think you already do. Perhaps your spouse thinks they do. Maybe you think the spouse thinks, you get what I'm saying. What would be different? What would be different in your lives, in your relationships, in your commitments, in the way you show up in the world if you could do so moving with absolute certainty? You know, after almost three years of pandemics and protests and constant disruption to life, I can imagine that sounds pretty darn great, doesn't it? Absolute certainty, all the answers. I can already see the type A perfectionist future casters among us breathing a sigh of relief at the very thought. The truth is we are all wired, all of us culturally and biologically, to want to trade in the currency of certainty. We're taught from an early age to rely upon facts and what we can presently perceive to prepare ourselves well for the future, to control the variables because forewarned is forearmed. The currencies of certainty and comfortable answers are tempting forms of spiritual tender. They purchase us the power to control the narrative, to define and delineate who's in and who's out, what's welcome and what's not, what's right and what's wrong. They afford us a life lived with no gray, the comfortable lie that we can fully and perpetually grasp the complexities of the world and the people around us, and that we have the right and responsibility to make all that stuff fit within the boxes we prefer to put it in. And while I know, practically, that many of us don't believe that we have all the answers, that still doesn't stop us from behaving as if we can't or that what we don't know will, in fact, hurt us. Now, does it? Eventually, though, there comes a moment in everyone's life when we find out how little value this currency of certainty actually holds. Our answers, as quickly as they can seem to resolve uncertainty, can become excuses to stop growing, to stop learning, trying, or living. Uninterrogated, these easy answers prevent us from perceiving deeper truths about others and ourselves and the world around us. As easily as they offer clarity, they can obfuscate, they can blur our ability to perceive what God is up to behind the scenes in our world, prevent us from being a Pentecost people open to the power of spirit to make possible what in our present seems impossible. Perhaps that's why, at critical moments in the life of God's people, we find that the stories hinge not upon clarity or certainty, but rather upon our ability to ask or be asked good questions. Think about it with me for a second. Let's do a quick survey of Scripture, which I know our disciple grads could help us with. When Moses stood at the burning bush... It was a question from God in which God reveals God's self to Moses and sends him with strength and power to help to do the work of liberating the people from Pharaoh's grasp. With a question, Isaiah's prophetic ministry of truth-telling and hope-bringing at a time of great weariness was launched. With a question in the book of Ezekiel, dry bones in a desert valley, stand up and live a question by Spirit's prompting that would renew and restore a weary-boned people. 
Today's reading comes from Isaiah 43, the third of approximately 15 chapters in what many of us who have gone to seminary know is called Second Isaiah. Now, this body of work, which is appended to the first 40 chapters of the book of Isaiah, comes about midway through a period called the Babylonian Exile, a time when the people of Israel and Judah had been captured by the Babylonians and forcibly transplanted in Babylon. And y'all, the people are tired. The word translated weary in Hebrew appears more times in Isaiah 43 than anywhere else in the Bible. The people are exhausted. Behind them lies a past littered with the failures of their political state, the destruction of their temple, and all of the rituals of life that had helped them hold it together, and a waning connection to the God of their ancestors. Before them lies the crumbling Babylonian empire and the seemingly endless exile that most of them had grown up knowing. The community is worn out. There's no energy for hope. There's no energy for questions. But notice what the prophet does here. Instead of turning to old truisms or familiar answers, the the prophet asks a question. Do not remember, they write, the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing, says God. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Building upon the promises that we hear in the first part of the text read today, the prophet promises not only God's enduring love, nor guarantees and reminds them of God's past faithfulness, but also helps inflame a hope for a different future, one undefined exclusively by that past or their present circumstances. Take note, the prophet references things like the Exodus in verses 16 and 17, and in so doing, not only do they say that God is faithful in the past, but that God will be faithful in the future. And not only will God be faithful in the future, but it's a future that's even more glorious and amazing than you could hope for or imagine. Now, this question, this question isn't about their faithfulness. The prophet's not saying, you know, kind of finger-wagging, you're doing it wrong. And it's not a rhetorical condemnation of their doubt. It is an invitation, an invitation to remember that theirs is a God who led the people through the waters of the Red Sea and swallowed up Pharaoh's forces when they tried to follow. That their identity doesn't rest upon a political identity or the powers at be in the moment, but is given to them freely by God who created all that is and holds all that is in God's hands and who is able in every situation to do abundantly more than they could ask for or imagine. The invitation, the invitation in the question is to continue questioning, to question the ways they've been closed off to what God is up to because they've been too caught up in what seemed certain about the circumstances they were currently in, to question what they believe is possible so that they might instead plug into what God can make possible, the kingdom vision for the future that is written. You know, I've been reminded a lot lately, some of you probably have too, that when we're weary and we're worn out, when we're feeling anxious or uncertain and moments of transition and change, it can be really easy, really easy to start trading in those currencies of certainty, can't it? You know what I'm talking about, right? It's been a long day at work. You get home, you know there's this new documentary you should really watch because it's about a topic that you know you really need to understand. And what do you do? You turn on that sitcom you've seen 14 different times because you already know the outcome. It's easy. It's comfortable. 
Or, you know, the habit that you've been working on so hard to address or correct for me, it's road rage, always road rage. You've, you've made good progress, you've gotten where you want to go, you've, you know, you're feeling good about it, and then you have a really long day at work and you get in the car and somebody doesn't use their blinker and before you know it, you're saying things that would make the bishop pull your, your ordination. That's why there's not a camera in my car. The fact of the matter is that when we're weary, when we're tired, when we're worn out, it can be easy to stop thinking, to stop questioning, to stop believing. And the more tired we are, and aren't we all exhausted on some level these days, the easier it is to rely upon the thing we already know or can lock down with easily digested answers or understanding. But here's the thing, and this is important. It's in our moments of weariness. It's in times of transition and change as we hear in Scripture and see again and again in the stories of people of faith when we're feeling too weary to hope that our ability to question what we can currently perceive, what we think we know, is actually the strength we have for the journey of discipleship and the work of sacred resistance, the best tool we've got in our tool belt to do what God is calling us to do. And when we're willing to embrace them, our questions and doubts can help us plug into the possibility of a life different from the one we know or can currently understand. It creates space for the Holy Spirit to enter into our thinking and being and doing in ways that shake us loose from fear so that we might better perceive what God is calling us to do in the moment. In the Jim Crow South, for instance, Voter rights activist Fannie Lou Hamer used a question to reveal the hypocrisy of the Democratic National Convention's Credentials Committee and reveal the suffering of American black folk on on the public stage with a simple question. Before the committee, arguing for racial parity and delegations being seated, she simply asked, is this America, the land of the free and the home of the brave, where we have to sleep with our telephones off the hooks because our lives are being threatened daily? because we want to live as decent human beings in America? Her question did not end discrimination or secure voter rights, as we all know too well that critical work is still ours to do. But it did offer the hope that the voices of the voiceless might be heard, and it did secure racial parity on delegations sent to the DNC, and it's continued still to this day to be an Ebenezer of hope for activists working for a more just and inclusive future. You know, 45 years ago, in the very pews of this congregation, queer people like me had to remain in the closet, wondering if our welcome was ever going to be fully extended to the fullness of their God-given identity. But there were some rabble-rousers in the pews of Foundry, too, people who were willing to ask faithful questions like Adele Hutchins and Suzanne Forsyth and several of you who are actually sitting in the pews right now. And because of those questions, questioning the presumption that queer folk and the Methodist Church could ever come together, we began to move forward. Those questions became the foundation of this present moment in which we find ourselves where I was reminded just again on Facebook in between services. This place is a beacon of hope and light for queer people around the world. During Pride, we celebrate the bold leadership of saints like Marsha P. Johnson, James Obergefell, and countless others. They publicly questioned with great risk to themselves a world that would deny their right to love or live with pride in who God created them to be. And those questions ignited a movement that still today 
to every glittering step and rainbow-laden protest parade continues to ask the question again and again and again, opening up space for all of God's beloved LGBTQIA children to live more freely and fully, literally saving lives in places where people are afraid to be who God made them to be. And finally, on a more personal note, I've been privileged these last six years to sit with so many of you as you've asked questions about what it means to faithfully follow Jesus, about what is or is not accurate or right about Scripture, what you might do or maybe you shouldn't do as part of Foundry's community. I've watched you ask how the gifts you are bringing can be used in ministry here, and because you were willing to faithfully ask those questions, you've birthed small groups and classes. You've called people, countless people, into ministry. You've created sanctuary art that more fully proclaims our welcome in a way that is just and inclusive. You've offered yourself again and again and again, not always knowing where we were going, but finding with each faithful step that God was with us on the journey. Now, I know the pressures of this present moment seem overwhelming. Pandemic fatigue, violence in every form, crowding out hope on our news feeds, denominational exhaustion as we watch harm continuing to be inflicted on our queer siblings. And I know how tempting it might feel to circle the wagons around what seems certain to remain cautious unless we can predict or control the outcomes of our decisions, to run fast and far away from any situation that seems more murky than manageable. But you know, nowhere in Scripture does God guarantee us a life without uncertainty or doubt. The promise has never been that God would give us everything we need when we wanted it to do what we wanted to do. The promise we are given, however, is that the one who has named us as God's own, who has called us thus far on the way, will not lead us into any situation, space, moment, or movement in which God will not also accompany us along the way. It's that hope that allows us to question and doubt, to dream dreams bigger than our current circumstances make seem possible, and to actually believe audaciously that there will come a day when justice will roll down like mighty water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The world needs our questions and our willingness to embrace them so that we might create space for people to see what God is up to. You know, far too often I find folk feel like discipleship is about arriving at all the right answers, right? You want to make sure you're doctrinally in order, you want to make sure that you're in alignment with a certain way of thinking or seeing or being in the world. And don't get me wrong, those are good questions to ask. But faith isn't about banishing those questions. And it's not about being provided constant clarity or consistent clarity about who we're called to be or how we're called to show up in the world. Time and again in Scripture, it's the question that we ask, not the answer we receive, the uncertain things in our lives, not the things that we can control, in which God is most clearly at work to help us make the next faithful step. So here's what I want you to know, beloved of Foundry Church. Your questions, those ones that we've asked together these last six years, the ones you will ask going forward, they are sacred. Your questions are sacred. Your doubts are pregnant with the possibility of fresh perspectives and transformed ways of thinking about the world. 
your willingness to name them, these questions and doubts, to engage them, that's not an act of faithlessness. It's not a failure on your part. It is a profound and potentially world-changing act of faith. And even if all your questions do is open up someone else's heart to the possibility, the world that they know is not the world as it needs to be, you've accomplished the miraculous. Our work, our work is not to look for hope at the bottom line of a well-balanced budget. Our work is not to rely upon perfectly packaged protocols or well-crafted legislation to save the United Methodist Church, even though these may be a part of the puzzle. And our work is certainly not to wait on someone to ask us to do the thing that we know deep in our hearts we're being called to do, whether that's preach, teach, protest, or pass out bulletins and greet people at the back doors on Sunday morning. Our work is to plug into the prophetic imagination of Isaiah. For God is always, in all of our lives, doing a new thing. And then, to show up, even when we don't know the answers, even when we can't predict the outcome, even when we don't quite know what we're doing or how we're going to do it. To show up anyway and to trust that the one who began the good work in you will see it through to completion. E.E. Cummings, a favorite poet of mine, once wrote in a line, in an introduction to a book of poetry he published, uh, a a sentence that I've never been able to unremember. Ever the more beautiful answer, he writes, that asks a more beautiful question. My prayer for you, beloved, is that you continue learning to lean into and live the questions. Dare to question at every turn those who would tell you that building a more just and inclusive church is impossible. Dare to dream dreams unfettered by the failures of the past, whether that's when the live stream fails on Easter Sunday, right, Pastor Lonnie? It's a sore subject for us all. Or when a clergy session says no, Live into the possibility that what was once true in your relationships, in your faith, in yourself, doesn't need to define you forever or prevent you from growing into a fuller, more abundant future. Take the risk, friends, take the risk of reaching out to others for the sake of the kingdom work to which you're called, even if it means that you have to let go of old understandings and preconceived notions. And with every answer, every doubt that you find some conclusion to, let those draw you deeper into belief, every risk resulting in new life and perspective, let them ask you more beautiful questions that draw you ever deeper into the heart and the work of God. You know, there's an old hymn of the church that some of us that grew up in small Southern Methodist churches might have heard a time or two. We sang it just about every Sunday at my grandparents' little church in Doddridge, Arkansas. I'm going to spare you having to hear me sing it now. You've made it this far. But I want to read you the words. I know not what of good or ill may be reserved for me, of weary ways or golden days before God's face I see. But I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that Christ is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I don't know what lies next for you, or for me for that matter. But I do know this. No matter what transitions lie ahead or uncertainties assail us, no matter how complex the questions feel or unclear the future, 
The one who began and continues the good work of the people called Foundry will continue to be at work in and through you until that day when we arrive together in the future kingdom reality, which only your questions will ever help us fully perceive. Keep asking them, friends, and know, know that they're held in the grace of God. Amen.